primary care knowledge boost. Ours rules clinical supervision. Your questions answered. Welcome to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. We hope you're all keeping well. Um, today we're talking to Judith Dawson about supervising ours roles team members. Yes, she is a roadmap um, supervisor and a train the trainer with a lot of other supervision qualifications as well. So she was the perfect person to speak to. Um, as a recap, um, ours um, means the additional roles reimbursement scheme. Um, and that is something that's coming quite recently um, as part of the primary care network does. And it means that networks are able to recruit new roles to kind of expand their team um, to help with some workforce shortage in general practice. Um, so even though the funding for the new roles is introduced within PCNs, each network does have the flexibility to determine which roles form um, their core list and um, they can base those requirements on their patient population really that's what they called it in practice as um an ours roles menu <laughs> yes a menu that's a nice way of putting it and um, so on the menu <laughs> we have um clinical pharmacists social prescribing link workers physician associates first contact physiotherapists community paramedics care coordinators pharmacy technicians dietitians health and well-being coaches nursing associates occupational therapists podiatrists and mental health practitioners um, and you'll hear um, the differentiation in our chat with judith about um, allied health professionals and how they have slightly different supervision requirements which we do talk about in the episode yeah, and this is kind of forming one of the final episodes that we've done all around the ours role scheme. Um, we've talked to uh, most of those roles there, and they've been we've been bowled over with how amazing and dynamic and brilliant they've all been. So massive thanks to everyone who's been involved in making the episodes. Um, so if you're interested in any of the roles, just go back and have a wee look, scroll through with the episode list, and you'll find. Uh, nearly everyone <laughs> yeah. um, and they they'll give you a kind of flavor of what that role can do in practice and what their days look like so um so in today's episode we go through everyone's burning questions that they've had all around how to supervise uh, the roles in practice so what it, what that actually looks like um in terms of the training needed to supervise ours roles um team members um, who can actually do the supervising, what the R's roles training roadmap is, and what the role of the supervisor looks like day to day. Yeah, so we hope you find it as interesting as we did. Lovely. So should we start with introductions? Do you mind introducing yourself and explaining a bit about your background? Okay. So I'm Judith Dawson. I'm a physiotherapist. I'm also a first contact practitioner physiotherapist working in Broughton PCN in Salford. I'm also a clinical educator for the Greater Manchester Training Hub on the GP Ready programme that was commissioned by the Greater Manchester Health and Social Care Partnership. As part of my role, I'm a, um, a train the trainer, and that means I can supervise and deliver roadmap supervisor training. My main background is in musculoskeletal practice. Lovely. That's great. So you're training the trainers. So you're mm -hmm. the perfect person to be asking all about supervision. Um, I will, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Just for anyone that might have forgotten or might not know, um, can you talk us through what the R's roles are? Yeah, there's several R's roles. I'm particularly familiar with the first contact practitioner roles, which are from the five professions of physiotherapy, paramedics, podiatrists, occupational therapy, and dietitians. But they also do involve those people that are in the social prescribing link worker roles, the pharmacy techs, and uh, various other sort of clinical backgrounds as well. 
So um, when we're talking about clinical supervision um, in this episode, what are we actually talking about? Well, clinical supervision is about supervising somebody whilst they're actually in practice, either observing them with their patients or discussing their clinical cases with them, maybe offering them some debriefing sessions and also discussing things like cases and discussing the clinical reasoning that might have taken place and offering support and mentorship in the development of people developing the skills within primary care. Perfect. Um, and then we're thinking, if we're thinking about um, clinical supervision, it's probably important to know um, who can actually be a clinical supervisor um, in in practice. Yeah, actually, anybody can be a clinical supervisor, irrespective of their background and their expertise. But obviously, you can only supervise somebody within your scope of practice. So in terms of clinical supervision for people in roles roles that are new to primary care, particularly the FCP roles, people are having to go through an accreditation process um, and follow a roadmap. And this requires people to be a roadmap clinical supervisor. Anybody in an FCP role can be supervised by anybody, but they needed to be signed off and accredited by somebody that's a roadmap supervisor. Say that again. Okay, so... (laughs) So anybody can be a clinical supervisor. And anybody can supervise an FCP. So any anybody being anyone in the general practice, so yes. GPs, yeah. um, practice nurses? nurses, yeah, ANPs, ACPs, ACPs can all provide some degree of supervision, mm-hmm. but they can't actually accredit the person who is working towards a roadmap accreditation. Um, I, w- I was going to ask, do all ours role, role, roles have a roadmap when they start? in general practice only those that are from the ahp groups so that we're talking the physios Mm -hmm. the paramedics the podiatrists the occupational therapists and the dietetics and they're the ones that mainly the roadmap supervisors are going to be providing the the clinical supervision for the other groups probably can be supervised for people who've just got a supervisory qualification maybe not a roadmap supervisor and why is that? Do you mind me asking? I I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I just think that the roadmaps came out for those AHP uh, professions. Whether the other groups will get roadmaps in the future, we'll have to just wait and see. And the roadmap is a, a guideline. Yeah, it's how to, it's how to do it. And you've got to yeah. map your, your experience and your, your competency and capabilities to um, a knowledge, skills and attributes framework. And just to cover AHP is allied health professional. That's right. Yeah. So they need to be accredited by a roadmap supervisor. So there's only certain people that can be roadmap supervisors. So these are either GPs who are educational supervisors who've done the top up course, or if they're an advanced practitioner who's got a master's degree and works in primary care, or a GP that wants to do a full two day top up course to become a roadmap supervisor. Okay, so that GP wouldn't have had to have been an educational supervisor before. No, no, they do, but they do a full two-day course, as would an advanced practitioner with a master's degree. So that's a two-day course for the advanced uh, nurse practitioners or GPs who've not got their educational supervisor training. That's right, yeah. If you're a GP and you've got your educational supervisor training, the top-up course is... That's yeah, as, uh, and as, no, I think as a, as I understand it, that will be an online top up course mm, okay. that will be um, hosted on e learning for health. Mm. 
nice and complicated but we've got it <laughs> um and that kind of heads up my off my my next question which was um do you need to have any special skills or training to become a clinical supervisor um for the additional role so i'm guessing obviously we've talked about those ones um do you need any mm-hmm. special training to supervise generally not roadmap accreditation I think you've got to have a willingness to want to mentor and supervise somebody and have a broad experience of working in the environment in which you're supervising. Um, Understanding the role is really important. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important that you understand what the roadmap would be for the profession that you are supervising. And that's where the complexity of supervising several different professions comes in. Um, So a lot of the supervisor course tries to sort of emphasise each professional group will need a different level of supervision in certain areas, but there'll be common themes such as consultation skills, safety and, you know, risk management, safety netting and, you know, and how to deliver that type of care in primary care. Okay. And so that it doesn't specialise much further into how to supervise a first contact practitioner who's a physio compared to somebody else. No, because these roles, although they're, new, although they're new to primary care, the clinicians are expert clinicians. So they've got years of experience in that core speciality. So they, you don't need to teach them how to be an MSK clinician. You don't need to teach them how to be a podiatrist. What you need to be able to supervise them is showing those skills are transferable to the primary care environment um, and making sure that they're familiar with local pathways and um, you know the ways to manage a patient within a primary care setting. And I don't know if we talk about it later, but it just occurs to me at the moment, um, how much time should somebody have with their clinical supervisor? Each roadmap specifies um, there's a number of the documentation uh, that people need to have within their portfolio or required per sort of accreditation period. But you may get somebody who's highly experienced and can do that very quickly and they may not need a sort of an awful lot of supervision. But I think initially you'd have to have some one-to-one discussions to establish where that person was, spend some time with them and get a little bit of a feeling of, is this, I'm going to be quite close and personal, do a lot of sort of in-practice supervision, or can I take a long-arm approach and, re- and supervise this person a little bit more ro- uh, remotely, maybe just touching base with them once a day, once a week, so depending on, on where they are in that particular sort of pathway of their development. And is there an ongoing requirement for training? Not that I'm aware of. Once you've become an accredited super clinic roadmap supervisor, you'll be placed on a register and that register will be hosted by the Centre for Advanced Practice. I'm of the impression that HEE are looking at having some support networks in place. Um, with one strand being for those that are from an advanced practice background and one strand for those that are coming from a GP background. And I know that's something that Greater Manchester and HEE are looking at as well. And I'm just, um, before you, sorry, you move on, Sarah, I'm just, it just occurs to me as well that um, it's, it's probably worth saying that I'm assuming that um, these supervisors need to have the kind of ducks in a row before they employ somebody that's going to be fulfilling these rules. Could you just say that again? Yeah, what do you mean ducks in a row? <laughs> yeah. Just that they'll have to have gone through all of the um, the bits and pieces. They'll have had to do the supervision. You've got to make sure someone in practice has, has got to be able to fulfill that role before you employ somebody. That would have been absolutely the right thing that we could have done. But unfortunately, most people got in post 
And then the roadmaps came out and then the supervision requirements became very apparent. So the ducks were definitely not in row. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we are, we are, yeah. And I think that's put an awful lot of stress on strain, particularly because all this happened during COVID when people were not working in practice. They were working remotely. They had the pressures of vaccination programs. Mm. Um, and, it, and it has, it has made it quite challenging, to be honest. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of people, especially people who are very experienced, feel quite frustrated. But at the same time want to do the best and to you know sort of improve patient care yeah right back on track now (laughs) and is there any registration or oversight of clinical supervisors for first contact practitioners or ours roles and that's what we're referring to when we talk about roadmap supervision so you attend a two-day roadmap supervisor course if you're an advanced practitioner and you then become an accredited roadmap supervisor and your details will be hosted on the center for advanced practice Uh, right or if you're a gp educational supervisor you do the top up you'll probably be given an accreditation with the gmc to say that you're also a roadmap supervisor and i suspect you will also go on the center for advanced practice but i can't absolutely confirm that okay so to be confirmed Mm. but that's kind of what the outline looks like yeah Going forward, whether to maintain your accreditation as a roadmap supervisor, you will be required to do something. I think it's still a work in progress. And I know we have talked a little bit about what it might look like and how it might be individual to the um, the person that's being supervised. But what would a clinical supervisor typically looking after um, one of the AHPR's roles on the roadmap um, have to do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, Um, Every day you'd expect to do a debrief uh, at some point within a clinical session. That can be anything from a few minutes of a conversation or, you know, or maybe a bit more detailed uh, conversation. Um, You will definitely need to be over the course of a period of time, maybe a month, be spending some time doing a direct observation of the person with a patient giving them feedback on a particular aspect of that consultation, uh, depending on where you think they need to develop their skills or you want to say that those skills are really good now, can we move on to something else? And that's what I think GPs are quite familiar with in terms of their training. That's a a case-based discussion. Um, You'd also be expected to do some clinical observations as well of a technique or an examination procedure to check that they're accurate um, with that. Um, And you'd also want to sit down and do some case-based discussions with them um, to discuss, you know, the clinical reasoning, the differential diagnosis, the planning, um, you know, being holistic with the patient and looking at the overall management of a patient within primary care. Now, each roadmap specifies how much and how many of those are required per profession, and it will very much depend on how many hours that person is working per week. So if they're only coming in once a week, you can't expect them to get through that process as quickly as somebody's working full time. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, actually, is there, a, is there anything in the roadmap that's like an end point? Um, that you've gotten to this end point now we don't need to do this anymore yeah initially they did have an end point they then realized that it was going to be unrealistic but there's some guidance now and the guidance is depending on the number of hours that you are working per week and in agreement with your line manager and employer you should set an end or an end date which can be anything from six months to 12 months but it can be quite open with a bit of flexibility because it depends on how available your supervisor is as well as the clinician Mm. isn't it can you have that? Is- oh, sorry. Go on, Lisa. <laughs> That's all right. We're, I'm generating so much more questions now that we're talking. <laughs> um, is there um, is there any kind of assessment or anything at the end that the clinical supervisor needs to do to say that this person has completed it? Yes. So the evidence that the um, 
super, the person who's being supervised submits is given to the clinical supervisor and they sign it off um, and say that they're competent and there's a document to say, I believe this person is competent to practice in this, this role. The person does a self and awareness scoring as well that all then gets submitted onto the Centre of Advanced Practice when you've both come to the same agreement that they are competent. Can you have a mix of supervisors? So if you've got a couple of um, part-time GPs or part-time supervisors, can they swap between them? And I think there would have to be an agreement and trust element between each other, but only one person would probably be doing the final sign-off. Mm-hmm. But I, I would be happy to delegate to some of my colleagues to supervise some of the people that I'm, I, I look after because I know that I've supervised them in the past so that they've got a degree of competency already. But overall, I still would be putting my registration number against that person and ultimately taking responsibility if they weren't proven competent in the future. Yeah. And that's something that people really need to be aware of, that you don't sign people off just because you've got to be absolutely sure that you feel they're capable and can meet the competencies required. Um, and again, we've touched on this a little bit, but who do you think, um, uh, yeah, who do you think the role applies to or appeals to um, who might want to do this? I think it could be anybody at any stage in their career, to be honest. I think peer-to-peer supervision is sometimes quite a good thing, but ultimately that person wouldn't be wanting to sign off somebody who's not really that experienced. I think that needs to be somebody at a higher level. So the way that the roles are developed, they are developed um, so that people are working at at level seven academically. So it has to be somebody who's already got that level of academic sort of qualifications to either a master's degree or several CPD modules at level seven. So they understand that critical thinking that's required for people in these roles. And just thinking about the way in which ours roles are employed often sort of by a PCN, is there a requirement to have a clinical supervisor in each practice if you employ a healthcare professional from one of the ours roles? There was some requirements published a couple of weeks ago on the CQC myth myth busters for FCP roles Mm -hmm. that actually stipulated that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, That added some clarification. Um, Yeah, it it will be quite a challenge for some PCNs who haven't got any roadmap supervisors. I think the vision by HEE from a national point of view is that people could have supervisors anywhere in the country, but I'm not sure that's going to actually happen. Um, you know, if, you, if you're employed by one organisation expected to give up your time to supervise someone else in another organisation, who who funds that? So I think there's still a little bit of ironing out to yeah. to do here. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so if they were if they work for the PCN, really, it should be a, a kind of supervisor within that PCN that's looking yeah. after them. Mm, okay. Yeah. But not necessarily. So if you've got a PCN, say like your first contact physio and you've got a PCN role and you've got quite a few different practices, um, it might be that some are in one, like there's plenty in one big building and then there's one of the practices quite far away. I don't know if every every PCN's a bit different, aren't they? But I wonder about them travelling to that other practice and then is there anyone in that building? Well, I supervise and I supervise remotely. Uh, Yeah, so I work in one PCM with nine practices and I supervise people just using Teams. We do debriefs on Teams. Then I do do some meeting up, but I also do case-based discussions um, online as well. Um, I can share the screens because we can look at patient records and see if documentation is up to scratch. Um, So there is a degree of that, but I do think you need to see them with patients as well. Um, 
but obviously over recent times that's been a bit more challenging hasn't it so um we're interested in your pearls of wisdom <laughs> to pass on to those starting in their journey of clinical supervision um so have you got any pearls of wisdom <laughs> for people who are either already trained up or who are thinking of starting yeah i, th- I think it's know your know your person that you're supervising you know use the kiddie ring I'm sure you're familiar with the kiddie ring and when you try and basically find out a patient's journey, a person's journey to their where they've got to, and you find out what ticks their, you know, ticks their boxes and makes them develop as a person. Um, so that's something we teach on the roadmap supervisor training course about the kiddie ring. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's, it's a well known um, strategy for finding out what makes people tick. Um, and then just basically sit down and do a PDP with people, try and find out what they need to develop. Familiarise yourself with their roadmap, depending on their professional background, and then start working through it very slowly, being patient. As a supervisor, you're learning as much as the person you're supervising. Um, and to be honest, uh, being a supervisor, I think, enhances, enhances you, your work <laughs> and improves you as a clinician because it makes you realise things that you may be forgotten that you do naturally. And you can also learn from other people that you're supervising some different styles or techniques that you, you maybe didn't do in the self yourself. That's lovely. Thank you. And um, the, um, the other question that we had was, because um, we've talked to almost one person from every hour's role now on our journey through these podcasts. Yeah. Um, and a really common theme has been how difficult it can sometimes be to assimilate into the teams. And particularly if you have someone who's working for a PCN, working across different practices and maybe has a clinical supervisor in one place, but they don't see them very often. Um, so just wondering if you have any thoughts about how a clinical supervisor might be able to support that integration into the wider team for the, these, these roles. Yeah. I think the per- a clinical supervisor should have an element of a leadership role within within a PCN as well. So probably familiarising themselves with everybody in the team and explaining what they can do as a clinical supervisor. Um, and maybe even do some sessions with different practices about what supervision is, what what's expected, and how you can maybe delegate some of that responsibility to other people within the team. I mean, for example, I'd be quite happy to delegate some administrative duties to a receptionist or a backroom member of staff if they wanted to show somebody who's new to primary care how to navigate booking patients into other clinics, and, you know, things of that kind. Those are skills that when you've worked in primary care for a long time, you, you just take it to be natural, don't you? But when you've come from a secondary care environment where you didn't do any of that yourself, it's really mm-hmm. quite scary. Yeah, learning all that IT. Yeah. And I think as well as a clinical supervisor, giving feedback to the rest of the team about where you see the people that you're supervising, how are they doing? Um, you know, sort of saying, can you just support them a little bit more in this direction? Or actually doing really well here. If you want to give them a bit of that now, I think you can do. And, and sort of giving feedback to the team about people's skills. Yeah, those are all lovely ideas. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, It sounds like it could be a role that could be quite time consuming being a clinical supervisor. Reimbursement wise, how's that work? Anything? No, no, no. I think that's, again, I don't know whether you're familiar that about two, three weeks ago, the King's Fund published a um, article on integrating ours roles into primary care networks. And that was in there about there's no reimbursement um, so they've highlighted that. They've highlighted the challenges of roadmaps as well and all these supervisory issues. So if people want to have a read of that document, that's quite, um, you know, sort of interesting as well. But currently there is no reimbursement. However, if you're an advanced practitioner 
within your scope of practice, you're expected to show um, skills across four pillars. So that's the clinical pillar, the education pillar, the research pillar, um, and the leadership pillar. So you've got your leadership in there if you're a supervisor. And to be honest, you've got a bit of your education in there as well, haven't you? So as an advanced practitioner, we would be expecting to do that as part of our role and be given the time within our job plan to do that. I don't know how GPs would think about that and how that would work for them, but that's certainly the advanced practitioner uh, viewpoint on it. Yeah, interesting question, Sarah. And we'll, we'll, we'll find that article and we'll link to it um, so listeners can find it if they want to have a little read. Anything else you wanted to mention just before we get to the summing up question? Have we covered everything you think? Well, I, I think I think it's important to be a clinical supervisor if you've got the skills, time and patience and you're quite organised to do it. I've, I really enjoy being a supervisor. I've actually been a supervisor with before roadmaps, before formal training for a really long time. And I think if I hadn't been a supervisor, I'd have got bored a lot sooner in my career. So I think, you know, it gives, it is challenging and you do need to be organised, but I also think it, you're giving something back. Yeah, it's a lovely way, like you say, it's the leadership side of things and the educational side of things. And it's, you get to meet a lot of interesting people. I think it could definitely, like you say, be quite challenging, I think, depending on who you're supervising. Yeah, I think if you're struggling with somebody who's not really getting that, that would be where the difficulties lie. And I know that um, HEE are looking at having some sort of peer support for supervisors on how to cope when you've got somebody who's, a, who's struggling um, and when you're trying to support them through the roadmaps. That's interesting. Um, well, then we will ask you our last question then that we always ask, which is what you want listeners to take away from our discussion today. Um, familiarise yourself with the roadmaps um, if you want to be a supervisor for anybody in the R's roles. Look at the training programmes that are available and advertised by HEE um, and sign up early because I think they're not getting filled up quickly enough and they cancel them if they're not filled up. And the more supervisors we have on the ground, the better it's going to be for the workforce and there's going to be improved retention and maintenance of people in role. Very good point. Well, thanks very much, Judith. I think this has been fascinating. Again, it was lots of stuff that we weren't aware of. My eyes are always opened with every episode we do around ours full. So thank you for your time today. Yeah, no problem at all. So Lisa, now it's just us and Judith has um, departed our call together. Um, so this is the time we normally ask each other what our learning points are from today's chats with the lovely Judith. Oh yes, I know it was so nice to get Judith back on again um, and see her again. I like when we have returning guests actually. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Um, it is so nice. Uh, yeah, so I think for me it was the biggest thing was probably that differentiation between the general clinical supervision for some of the roles and the fact that some of them require more specific um, supervision that requires extra training and has to follow the roadmap. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that was the biggest thing that I definitely learned today. Um, yeah. What about you? Yeah, no, it was um, it was really interesting just kind of having to clarify, like, hold on, what, what was a roadmap and who, because it is, it's um, like she was saying, it's kind of evolved and it's been happening during the COVID pandemic that it's all come out. So it is quite complicated, I guess. And so it was really nice. She's doing this. She's talking about this all the time. So it's really nice to kind of get a bit of a, a run through from here and understand what the roadmap is and that it's for certain 
ours roles which i'd have to kind of look up again i think it's the allied health professionals wasn't it yeah um and then yeah and who and who can actually do the training what it looks like i didn't realize it was a two-day course um and and also that whole point about you're not retraining them in anything they're they're good to go it's just about the general practice side of things and making sure that you know what they're like in practice the clinical debrief side of things you know the whole learning how general practice works and all the ins and outs of it so yeah exactly it's about how to make them function in in kind of general practice and making sure that they're safe and able to do that um yeah. rather than yeah retraining them as a physio um yeah and on the safety point that was really interesting we were talking about that um and talking about that once somebody's accredited as a once you've kind of signed them off and they are they're good to go they then can actually do the road roadmap training as well and become a clinical supervisor themselves yeah um but she was saying obviously you don't want it too soon and things like that but um because you want people who are kind of really comfortable in their roles in in general practice and it was interesting to know that um it's quite narrow the people who can do the roadmap um, supervisor training so GPs and advanced clinical practitioners and then like you said people who've been through the roadmap training themselves um, process but yeah it's a lot less than I expected for those um, allied health professionals yeah we were reflecting after we spoke about um how difficult it is in general practice in terms of the time and obviously the whole system is under strain and it is a shame that it's kind of not funded it's not a funded role um I think the advantages, because I was just thinking for myself about would I want to become, I think it might, might not be ready yet to become a, a supervisor, but I think that whole thing she was saying about the teaching side of things and the learning and keeping it interesting and dynamic, and I think that would be, um, yeah, a real advantage of, of being a supervisor. Yeah, definitely for your own kind of personal development as well yeah, and, and, yeah. and keeping the day-to-day job interesting. Yeah, and you can. How much could you learn from them as well? All these different roles, and from it's it's gotten me really interested doing these episodes because you just think, oh, they know so much about these different things, and yeah, it'd be great to actually get more um more time with them and and speak to people who yeah have got so much so many skills. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, if you um if you want to get in touch with us, you can do um, in a lot of different ways as usual, and we'll put them all in the episode description for you to be able to access. Um. We are still planning all of our next episodes. Um, we're kind of on the cusp of, of doing some bigger planning. So if you've got anything that you really, really are burning to, um, for us to do, then please get in touch. Um, and we'll try and consider it. Um, and thank you to everybody who has already, because we love getting your feedback. Yeah. We just had a flurry of people following us on Twitter. We're like, Oh, lovely. <laughs> um, and then a couple of surveys that have been wonderful as well. So thank you so much to everyone. Till next time on Primary Care Knowledge Boost. This podcast has been able to continue to date due to the support of GP Excellence, Wigan Borough CCG, Greater Manchester Training Hub and the GP Fellowship Programme, as well as Greater Manchester Health and Social Care Partnership. Just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public. They were recorded in Greater Manchester in 2022. Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time, so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before you make any treatment decisions. The content is based on our interviewee's opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgement before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast. Check out the episode description for full details and any links that we've mentioned in the episode.